Matt, look, you might not be able to hear this right now, but it's not her fault. Your marriage was not... Just, she was lonely. So you guys talk to me in cliches about women. Nothing is ever a woman's fault. Was it still going on when she had the accident? But I stayed out of it. Anytime Kai would bring it up, I would walk away. Are you what? You probably egged her on. Had a little drama in your life without any actual risk. Well, who do you think you're protecting, Kai? She doesn't need your protection. It's over. She's gonna die. Don't say that. That's true. I was gonna tell you yesterday. She's never gonna wake up. You hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? She's gone. We're pulling the plug. You were putting lipstick on a corpse. <laughs> Come on, Matt. That's a little intense. <laughs> Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host Mike. And I am so excited to talk about our last film in this trilogy, the Alexander Payne 2011 
Uh, I just keep I keep using the I, I I could use any superlative, but I'm just gonna go with one of my favorite films, The Descendants, a film that I hated when I watched it in theaters, and I feel so bad. I I was in grad school and I went with a, a, a really really good friend of mine. Her name is Caitlin, and we were both into uh, indie cinema quite a bit. And I exited theater just seething with, ooh, I, I didn't like that at all. The Sid character really got under my skin. And I yeah, I don't know, everything about it I just didn't like. And I can't quite tell you why, Mike. I don't know what specific things. And it, it, since then, I've only grown to love it more and more to the point where I feel like I have fonder feelings for it right now in this stage of my life than maybe Sideways, which is a film that continues to be relevant to me. So I, I don't know. I'm getting to that and I'm getting to that point, man. I don't know what to do. I, I don't want to I don't want to abandon sideways, but the descendant <laughs> is it, it's creeping up. I'm kicking around which one is healthier because you know when we did the sideways episode you <laughs> compared yourself uh, it was the combination of that and American Splendor, I think. It was very close together where you, <laughs> you said Paul Giamatti is the the silver screen yep. version of you, uh, which that that troubled me a little bit because I'm like, come on, man, you're <laughs> you're doing better. Maybe not better than Paul Giamatti. I don't know his personal life, but you're certainly doing better than his screen persona, which is usually quite sad. So uh, lovely family, all that. Is the Descendants healthier though than Sideways because it's it is a not so much a love story, but for a long bit of the runtime it is a hate story about a man learning to um despise his his wife that is in a coma <laughs> because she has betrayed him now it wasn't clearly the best marriage uh because they didn't seem to be too involved in one another's lives up to that point of her accident um but the Clooney character uh, obviously uh would not go as far as to uh curse at her or have or have like you know daughters cursing at the sort of yeah um i guess this like emotional purgatory all the characters are in because clearly they want to start the grieving process for the the mother and the wife she was uh but they didn't get a chance to lash out and and have those hard talks with how angry they were because the Clooney character was just <laughs> he's just the idiot man of the house and the sitcom had just was totally unaware um, and look, if you if you're George Clooney, you probably should be unaware that your wife would have an interest in any other man, especially Matthew fucking Lillard. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> I actually have hell? a. <laughs> Maybe it's because uh, I, I I'm I've uh, unfortunately you know you get um, tunnel vision sometimes, and then certain mm -hmm. uh, uh, films or TV that you're like, you, you haven't watched that? And you like, it just came, it just came and went for me. And I wasn't able to really, uh, uh, the Twin Peaks Return series. I'm, I'm uh, finally kind of going through that. And Matthew Lillard is excellent in it. And so when I watched this, I was like, boy, he's excellent in this too. And so I, I've actually lessened my stand. Normally, yes, I, I would agree with you completely. How dare anyone compare the, the gap two. of slc punk in 99 and then the descendants in 2011 I, I know he was shaggy right i think in scooby-doo yes. movies but i didn't see him so he just disappeared for me for a decade 
he's making bank. He's doing the Scooby Doo like uh, uh, voiceovers for Shaggy. Like he he is just fine. He is uh, the definition of a working actor. He's doing he's doing all right. Um, George Clooney. I, I only want to posit that uh, maybe George Clooney has done a little bit a little bit better not <laughs> paying his mortgage by being the voice of Shaggy in cartoons. <laughs> Although George Clooney was the voice of. A dog in what the South Park movie or something? So that's right. Yeah, he's got those credits as well. Um, I would just wanted to uh, have a counterpoint to your initial experience. I was so excited to see this that when my wife and I first started dating, we were only a few months uh, in at that point. I think it was, it was a close Thanksgiving, maybe the week before, but it wasn't quite in Lexington yet. And so we drove up to the Cincinnati area because it was already playing there. And I was super, super fucking pumped. This is the auteur behind Sideways, which this is the follow-up, right? I mean, it's a long-awaited follow-up, I believe, because Sideways is 2004. This is 2011. A ba- oh, no, a bachelor. Yes, this this absolutely is the follow-up to Sideways. Wow. A long seven years. Yeah. Um, and I seem to recall George Clooney commenting on that, that he, cause, uh, in our sideways episode, I believe we mentioned that he desperately wanted the Thomas Hayden church part. And, uh, oh. Alexander Payne said that he would not, he was George Clooney himself is too successful that he would not be believable as a struggling actor, uh, a soap star. And he's like, but I was for most of my life, a struggling actor doing those, you know, I was on stupid sitcoms. And, you know, that just didn't hold any sway with Alexander Payne. He's like, well, yeah, but now you're Danny Ocean, so fuck off. <laughs> but <laughs> right. he did eventually give him a part where he got to, you know, he got to play desperate. And, you know, he could, got to run his flip-flops after he finds out that his wife has had an affair. But all of that. So I was very excited to see it. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, I can't uh, disassociate the, the memory that while we were there. But before we got to see the movie, we got in a fender bender. And we were then, <laughs> we were then stranded, and I was like, "Keep in mind, we're just early dating, and I have to be supportive and not really expose myself and show all my cards." Where I'm like, "God damn it! If I miss this Alexander Payne movie, seven years, <laughs> when there are clearly more important things." Uh, however, we luckily had uh, a couple of friends that were coming to the area to shop, and they could be convinced to also go see the Descendants. So we managed to get a ride. And get to see the descendants and get and get go home. Um, and a credit to you, and when you do pick films that my wife, you know, greatly adores, uh, she was with the descendants from that. Even after a car accident, she was totally swept away. Uh, this this is one of her favorite movies. Um, and of course greatly enjoyed the opportunity to rewatch this for one of my stupid podcasts. So she was ahead of you. I was slightly ahead of you and that I really liked it, but this is this is one of her favorites. Awesome. And you know what? I want to take this moment to kind of pause here on The Descendants and say one of the things my big takeaway uh, of us hanging out was hearing about you and your wife and your early days. And anytime you mention that uh, on this podcast about uh, uh, things that you did, like specifically movie related stuff, it, it fills me with so much envy. Uh, because my wife and I did not have that kind of journey. We had a very different journey to our marriage because it was uh, uh, arranged. And I, I absolutely love hearing those stories whenever you get a chance to tell them on the podcast. And it was a treat to hear you guys talk about it as I'm just like, 
I'm I'm completely like captivated. I love hearing those early stories about uh, you guys. So you're talking about um, the, and, the live in person, uh, yeah, uh, airing of our uh, our grievances. Like the <laughs> no, you actually weren't that romantic. Is <laughs> what you said. <laughs> And I love now that the, the Descendants is part of that, mm-hmm. uh, the, the mythology mm-hmm. between the two of you. That's awesome. Uh, you mentioned that George Clooney is kind of learning to hate his wife in that mm-hmm. moment. You're, I think there's also a lot of forgiveness. I think not even to her, but forgiving sure. himself for being the kind of husband. And, and normally I hate films where uh, you've got characters who are just extremely wealthy and they have no – no real world problems that I feel like I do but right off the bat this film tackles that thing uh, where the the character who said and this is actually straight out of the book too where it's like paradise can go fuck itself people think that we live in Hawaii and we have no worries we have the same heartaches and the same issues that everyone else has it's just uh, the juxtaposition is in this exotic and and gorgeous setting so I, I like that a lot that they tackled that aspect of it right away uh and so in the beginning of the movie, he even says before it's revealed that his wife was unfaithful to him, that he's like, I'll quit the uh, the law firm, the practice, I'll, I'll sell uh, this land and we'll get the money and I'll buy my wife whatever she needs to be happy. So I like that he's still thinking about his marriage in those very superficial terms where it's like, what, can I throw more money at this problem and it gets fixed? And by the end of the film kind of understands that he doesn't and it it ends so wonderfully i love how it just kind of eases into the credits uh, with with his family kind of coming together and watching uh morgan freeman on the uh, i think it was the penguins uh yeah Yeah. so uh, i was shocked and i know you have issues with uh uh, kind of the the wealthy characters as well sometimes yes movies kind of how did you react to it in this film uh i mean it's um it's a little defensive, maybe at first. I mean, I, th- I think you're meant to take it defensively. That the point of view of his character is he's comparing himself to uh, the many cousins of the, you know, the the title of it, the uh, the descendants, uh, the, this inherited wealth and basically inherited power because they they have so much real estate that they could reshape their their home for 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 people who you know they they were not gifted the ability to make those decisions about what their their land will look like in that opening narration. You know, he, he says that he, um, he wanted to still like make something of himself. Like he, it's almost a way of distancing himself. I mean, he's proving something, but he also wants to remove in some way that aspect of his life. Uh, Part of me again is like, well, isn't that nice that you can choose to go to law school for funsies <laughs> because being rich <laughs> isn't satisfying for you uh i would definitely be uh which bridges brothers is it Bo bridges or i can't i can't remember the name of the father and i'm obviously jeff you know he's one of the baker boys right one of the fabulous baker boys but now older and a bit fatter and always drinking um he seems to be the the main version of that that while he's still done some things financially it seems to be like real estate holdings he's just like he's got a lot of places that he can rent out and have this passive income so he can drink and live it up i probably would still be that guy like yeah i wouldn't necessarily be proud of myself but i'm also like i would i would kind of like a life where i can just do what i want and you know i can just enjoy it that's so 
I probably still lean, unfortunately, maybe maybe like you did initially with the Robert Forster character, who is George Clooney's father-in-law in this, who is <laughs> very cantankerous uh, and makes a point multiple times that it's like, with all this wealth, you know, what sort of life did you give her? Like, she, the brief time we know her, I love the way the film opens, by the way, that we don't ever hear her voice and the image we get is of her really living, living it up, living it up on the water right before the accident. And she's just enthralled with, you get the sense that, you know, what her future is going to be and the possibilities of it. And Robert Forster as the father, protective father, um, may have not been the most loving uh, father, but he's probably saying all the things that the arguments they may have had in their marriage. That's like, look, you don't necessarily have to be proud of like your sort of family lineage as far as, you know, politically how it looks, taking advantage of things that like, really you just won the lottery, like genetically that you happen to be born into this. But since we're here, like, why do we, like, why do we have to wait for an enthusiasm for our life? Why do we have to feel bad about it necessarily? That's kind of an interesting look at, at wealth. And certainly given the way that it's colored by her accident, it's hard not to sympathize with the man saying, why didn't, why didn't you just pay more attention to her? Like while she was here, why didn't you just like have adventures and, and things? It's put in a very like cutting way that's like maybe this accident wouldn't have happened if you you know she'd had a nicer boat or less you know dangerous settings whatever it is like that's where you kind of lose the thread a little bit um and you have the the heroic character that is sid the teenager friend of james woodley who strangely becomes part of their extended family much to the chagrin of pretty much everyone i guess but shailene woodley that he's yeah. around yeah uh, but even he also... Shailene Woodley's character uh, uh, at you know various points throughout their uh, uh, their trip. I believe uh, when he corrects um, George Clooney on uh, using a, a slur for uh, someone with um, any form, any being on the spectrum, I guess. And he surprisingly is the character saying like, "Hey, man, don't use that terminology. That's offensive." Only to follow up with a punchline that he <laughs> making a political point by laughing at the idea that he would have family members on. The, so the film always kind of throws you off with sympathizing with our characters, finding them engaged and charming, and then immediately not wanting to hang out with them anymore because it's like we're all jerks deep down, which I think is an Alexander Payne sensibility. Very flawed characters, obviously, going through something that you want to deeply sympathize with them about. And also balancing the tragedy and the comedic aspects of the story. Uh, he talks about in an interview, uh, he was having a discussion with George Clooney uh, uh, for the promotion of this film. And he discusses the film Make Way for Tomorrow, uh, directed by Leo McCary. Have you seen that one? Mm -hmm. I've seen that one. It's it's a really good film, very tragic, uh, uh, kind of heart wrenching at times. And it was uh, the, the the director who comes from comedy and is doing this really uh, uh, emotional film. And um, he uh, uses that as kind of uh, inspiration for I think his work as well. Where uh, Sideways is very much like that. Election leans definitely towards uh, more comedy than tragedy, but there's still there's a lot of comedy in the tragedy in that film. And 
it's it's tricky. It, it, not too many filmmakers can kind of get away with uh, taking that left turn immediately and and throwing a joke in these. I, I, I thought about our very first episode. Uh, ooh, I don't want to say first episode, maybe third, uh, with Jojo Rabbit. I think uh, Taika Waititi also does a really great job of, of uh, finding a way to have something horrific and then comedic back to back. So uh, it's another film that that does it really well. And in those moments where you mentioned Robert Forster, where he's berating uh, the Matthew character, uh, he talks about she was a good, you know, good girl, faithful wife, all that. One of the things that I always think about is like, God, I just want Matt to tell him about what he's going through, and he doesn't. And it's such a smart decision because when he does it to Rob Hubel's wife, I don't remember her character, the, the, the line that's brutal. The rule, you're putting lipstick on a corpse. It, it was like, because you want him to say something like that in that moment. But as soon as he says it, and you see her break down and cry, like, oh, he probably shouldn't have said that. And Rob Hubel, and it's got the supporting cast is so good. He's like, I was a little intense, man. Perfect. Like, all of it <laughs> is, is perfect. Clearly, none of these characters had a family movie night where they watched You've Got Mail, where Meg Ryan also had to learn that having the perfect insult doesn't feel so good sometimes. The after effects of it is <laughs> yeah. not so good. Um, so yeah, I like I, it shows progression for the Matt character, I think, when he yeah, doesn't I, tell off the father. Some some of that is playing to the, uh, the audience and, and maybe the expectations of – you know, I, I made a joke about the airing of grievances live uh, as a as a production bit with you know with me and my wife in front of you at your your dinner table, um, but you know in films we kind of like I don't think we have much patience for like we we want our characters to stand up for themselves like you know we we understand they have to take their licks but in this instance uh, the film could. Um, make the Matthew character strangely, I think for me, very unlikable by not saying, um, very uncharitable things. Like, I think he needs to have at least one blow up or we think that he's far too passive and too much of a pushover, which is how he's framed and how he keeps getting attacked that he's just sort of let life just happen. Like he's, he's always in this constant state of, of waiting, which seems to be a, like if there is a Clooneyism, like obviously he's compared to like Cary Grant, he has a lot of like some of his more successful characters like up in the air uh, uh Michael Clayton where he's just in this kind of stagnant place where he's not yet made a decision one way or the other on his, how his life's going to go and you get a sense that it's like man things have just like happened to him he's not been an active participant which someone who looks as good as george clooney it's weird that <laughs> his his more successful roles are where he is like totally passive and he's just like kind of going from a to b while character actors beat up on him Sidney pollock and michael clayton gets to have these great speeches now if you've seen michael clayton you know clooney gets an all-timer at the end um I, strangely for the descendants i prepared by watching like Michael Clayton again, because I was just like, I just want more Clooney. Up in the air, I watch like, you know, once a year, just, and we've covered on this podcast. But Michael Clayton, I was like, it's been a bit. And also, just like, I was shocked at just how still Clooney, which is totally different from his, like, when he came up in ER, he had all those, like, ticks. You remember he had the head nod things, and he was, was very, like, it's like Jason Lee or something. He had these mannerisms where he's always doing a little bit too much, and he really, like, kind of honed down to be as close to every man material as possible while being incredibly handsome. 
that's me saying that I think he could have played the Thomas Hayden Church part very well. I love Thomas Hayden Church, but he could have done it. Like, I, I think that Payne was wrong. I think that he actually could have pulled off that role. It just wouldn't have been as... It just wouldn't have been as amusing as no, Thomas Hayden Church wasn't. can be. I mean, look at him in any uh, in any Coen Brothers room where they purposely write him to be an idiot. Like, he can't pull that <laughs> off. But Hayden Church, I think, brings something to that role uh, where uh, there are certain lo- things that I always, like, t- much to the chagrin of some of the people who know how much I love the Sideways the scene at the at the restaurant where they're like yeah we'll go back to my place open up some wine some insane cheeses and and i think hitchers goes that sounds great yeah like things like that i just can't imagine that i was written in the script nor would clooney have given me that moment so it's okay he might he might not be able to pull off dork he can pull off dumb but i don't know if he could ever yes dorky that's a good point this has inspired at least a trilogy in my head uh, when you bring up the coen brothers of uh makeup parts because uh brad pitt desperately wanted to be i forget the actor's name he's the the small one in no brother where art thou so you have clooney Mm. and torturo what is that the character actor's name but i guess in essence brad pitt wouldn't be the dumbest one (laughs) <laughs> of our three heroes and our brother where art thou uh and they said you're too good looking uh we can't have we can't have you and Clooney on this this chain gang that's <laughs> totally absurd and unreasonable but the makeup role was burn after reading where he's the airhead uh gym employee so Brilliant. you know eventually he got it eventually he got it yeah where do you rank uh, this movie in, in Clooney's filmography I, I would imagine you uh, you put up in the air quite up there uh what about uh, yeah up in the air and, and michael clayton i i have above it it's 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 funny how like those are I, I don't know what there was probably other stuff in between but those feel like they came so because up in the air was what 2009 clayton's 2007 this is 2011 this is like that that peak sort of Clooney for me where he's he's working with um at least michael clayton was a first-time filmmaker but his fantastic screenplay um I I would say that this also, like, it, it still falls below sideways for me. Because it's just not, the characters are saying mean things, but it's not as cutting as <laughs> sideways. There is no, I'm sorry, there's just nothing like uh, Paul Giamatti throwing up his hands and saying, go ahead, write my gay confession after being badgered by this sex addict friend of his just because he didn't sleep with a, a woman that night. But we haven't talked about Shanley Woodley as far as her breakout role as yes. a daughter. Yes. And there's certainly Perfect. nothing like that in Sideways. Um, this is really impressive for someone so young to play the, I guess, the you know wild teenage daughter part that has such a, a journey and an arc with her mother. But that, every time I watch this, I'm it's like I'm watching her play this for the first time. Like, I'm shocked at how good she is. And I, I never remember how good she is until I watch it again. I don't want to talk about Mom with anyone. Look, whatever you two fought about over Christmas, you have to drop it. Grow up. You love your mother, your mother loves you. I can't drop it. You have to. You really don't have a clue, do you? Dad... Dad, Mom was cheating on you. That is what we fought about. 
When I was home at Christmas, I caught her with a guy. It made me sick to see her near you. I went back to school thinking that that was it, that I was just done with her. I was gonna call and tell you everything, and... And then the accident happened, and... I was waiting until she woke up, I guess. You didn't even suspect, right? Right? You disgusted me, too. You're always so busy. Caught her with a guy. What does that mean? I was on my way to swim in the Black Point pool with Brandy, and suddenly I see Mom and some douchebag walking into a house. His house, I guess. Just some guy. It could be anybody. And he had his hand on her ass. It was gross. Then what? Nothing. Then they went into the house. A few days later, I told her I knew what she was doing. And? And first, she acted like she had no idea what I was talking about. Like I'm fucking blind. And then she got, like, super mad and yelled and denied it. That was when I decided that I didn't want anything more to do with her. And the film really hinges on her relationship with her father. And I... I I hesitate to say, like, the main cast is really just the two of them. Everyone else is kind of supporting, but they two have to carry this movie, and she is right there with well, they're also every step of the way. The only two characters who know everything. Like, you, know, you oh, have the younger daughter, right. and Sid yeah. knows a little bit more, but he, he, he doesn't necessarily have to get as involved. And he's, I mean, his arc is that he develops this. Uh, protective brother adopted brother relationship with the youngest daughter which is really sweet and cool um but yeah it's it's a really cool look at this sort of father-daughter bonding that she had more information and more knowledge about her mother his wife than he did and is encouraging him to basically investigate her life like how it came to this end and the sweetness is it is that discovering that she was she was happy like you know, she, that she, whatever journey she was on was a good one. It's just a freak accident that stopped her from probably having a pretty good life. It would have been very bad for our lead character. I mean, it would have been trauma and it was already trauma that her daughter was going through because she knew that things were about to fracture and end that he wasn't going to get that time. Once I get everything settled, we're going to go on and it's going to be better. It wasn't going to happen, but I, I like that he has enough, I guess, self-awareness and uh, love for his wife that he eventually does not hold that against her, that she found something better. Ultimately, though, you know, the reveal that Matthew Lillard's character isn't really in love with her also is kind of hurtful. It, it, the, the movie is so uh, complex in that way where, you know, I, at first you're, of course, you're hating her. Because she did that to our protagonist, with you, who, who you're very invested in. But then when you realize that even if she had lived, her life was not going to be quite the uh, uh, that upward trajectory that she was thinking of, it still hurts. You kind of feel bad for her in that moment. See, it's interesting because I don't – I mean, of course, I just discount Lillard entirely. Like I don't even consider him. I just think to – 
the guy that was closest to the accident that they meet in the, the club where he, he's an he's an idiot but you know there are other characters that come that are talking about how did she look as far as like what was she like in her last days and it's like she was happy and we all we have is that that frame the very brief moment where it's like she was basically leaving an, a, this this unhappy relationship uh, it's like whatever she found on her own i feel like she was gonna be happy yeah, you're, you're okay. pulling back lillard i I discount I, I him apologize. So entirely. Well, no, no, you're right as far as the actual <laughs> the the plot that that is a pretty big reveal that it was misleading this this relationship to a certain extent. But <laughs> I discount him so that I'm like that clearly was a stepping stone to something something else. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for Judy Greer. Like, oh my god, you're stuck with Willard, <laughs> and she also has a great great moment at the end where she gets to come and like she basically pays the respects that he will not goes a little overboard <laughs> with her with her speech <laughs> <laughs> and i like that again the tragic and the comedic kind of melding together really well mm -hmm. where even he's like okay yeah go ahead and say it uh, all right okay that's enough yeah, I, yeah. I like that a too it, much. It, it's so odd and um, again, like we said, like she adds so much uh, to this movie. The supporting cast, even even the uh, the the dumb guy that you mentioned, the uh, buff Will Forte, <laughs> um, Rob Hubel, who I've loved since uh, the Human Giant, like an uh, obscure sketch comedy show on MTV Two. Uh, it's like it's exciting to see guys like him. who was like, oh man, I remember when he was making me laugh at ridiculous stuff. Now he's in a movie with George Clooney. It's so exciting seeing Robert Forrester, uh, you know, kicking butt in, in as another small role. Uh, even even though the person who plays Rob Hubel's wife, um, uh, Mary Birdsong, I think uh, she's great in it too, and she comes from a, a sketch comedy background as well. So it's so great. Like this film just. This film has it all for me, and ultimately, it's such a beautiful um, story about. And, and while it's not touched upon as much about land and wealth and where you come from and what obligations you have, and the movie was made on a twenty million dollar budget and one hundred and seventy seven million. Like, can movies like this still make that kind of money? That's ridiculous. Not with people like you hating Top Gun Maverick. Uh, you have to support that if you want <laughs> the Descendants too. <laughs> Drat. Uh, and of course, I, I will uh, mention uh, that I am absolutely in love with this, uh, the music in this film. Everything about it. Uh, a few years ago, uh, we had a family trip uh, to Hawaii, and uh, my, my preparation for Hawaii was to like rewatch Descendants and just listen to the soundtrack over and over. Like it just got me right in the mood to uh, go to Hawaii. Uh, I, I, yeah, everything about this film, man, like sometimes uh, uh, every single thing just fires on all cylinders and even and to the point where I'm sure I, I've got blinders on here. I, there's a flaw in here, I'm sure, and it's people who don't like uh, this film will, I'm sure, point out and they will will be right in, in, in their criticisms. But I just can't see a damn thing I don't like about this movie. I just I'm just too in love. Rose colored glasses will be there forever to rank it and. uh it's probably number two as far as like Hawaii movies behind Lilo and Stitch for me. I think I still <laughs> Lilo and Stitch, which I was horrified to learn that you know is not part of your uh, child uh, rearing canon. That there's no no Stitch that is caught on yet. But 
maybe possibly a little bit of a bad influence uh, for your daughter. Stitch is not the most well-behaved. And one thing I really <laughs> like about that movie is his arc is he doesn't change that much as far as his destructive <laughs> powers. <laughs> he uses them for good, but he's still destructive. Uh, my my daughter is getting to that point where she can handle uh, multiple Dora the Explorer episodes. Uh, she has sat through and watched My Neighbor Totoro. She loves that one. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think we're going to eventually get to that point where she's going to uh, go through a lot of the same films that I grew up with. And, and, and I've never seen Lilo and Stitch. And so I'm excited that to kind of work that into, uh, uh, into her uh, film education as well. Like I said, it's going to start with, 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 with Seven Samurai and Rashomon. But we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get yeah, all the way web. to the Descendants. <laughs> Killing the financial capabilities of cinema ever at an early age. Let's make this a crib death of like, ugh, this is what movies are. <laughs> this is boring. <laughs> Seven Samurai. Show her the majestic. Show her something. <laughs> Show her something <laughs> She'll go to sleep like that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Get your shit together. I'm fine. I'm fine. Where were you? Bathroom? Did you drink and dial? Hmm? No. Why do you always have to do this? Victoria is gone. Gone. Poof. In the wind. I mean, you're blowing a great opportunity here with Maya. Maya, she's great. She's cool. She's funny. She knows wine. I mean, what is this morose come-down bullshit? These girls want to party with us. Huh? And what was that 
10-minute lecture on boys vouvray's? Are you kidding me? Who gives a fuck? Let's just say that I'm uncomfortable with the whole scenario. Have you forgotten all the bad times you had with Victoria? How small she can make you feel? Isn't that why you had the affair with Brenda in the first place? Shut, shut your face and shut up. Have you even noticed how Maya's looking at you? Oh, come on, man. You've got her in the hook. Reel her in. Let's ratchet this up a notch. Here, drink some Agua Fria. Hey. Hey. Mm. Ah. Well, so, uh, shall we, uh, get some dessert? Uh, well, we're thinking, um, uh, why don't we go back to my place? I've got wine, some insane cheeses, music, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 Waiter! 